big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hey, everyone. Before we begin this week's episode, we want to thank our newest patrons, Ashley, Katrina, Francis, and Chaotica. Welcome to the team. Plus, a shout out to our patron, Kristen, who upgraded their pledge. If you want to be like these awesome people and get access to exclusive content like our notes, bonus episodes, and more, head on over to patreon.com slash pod and prejudice. This month, we reached 50 patrons, and we could not be more thankful. It's so wild. We never thought we'd have so many of you listening, and you're literally making our dreams come true. With your help, we're able to pay for things like our website subscription and transcripts, which are super important, as well as new recording equipment down the line. That's all to say your support means the world to us. Okay, that's all I have to say about that. So now enjoy this week's episode covering chapters 10 to 12 of Sense and Sensibility. The other thing I was going to tell you in good news is thanks to Mary Clay, shouts to her podcast, I got past the Council of Elrond chapter of Lord of the Rings, and I am starting to like it. Whoa! Oh my god, she'll be so happy. Yes, and I have actually, she's been helping, because I needed to honestly refresh on what happened in the book beforehand, so I went back, and I did it, like, listening to her podcast, and it was very helpful, because I was like, okay, I'm tying it all together now. I also took her recommendation of audiobook and that helped a lot because the other audiobook I was listening to was kind of dull. The audiobook that I listened to, wait, which one are you listening to? I'm listening now to the Phil Dragash version. The one I bought is Rob Inglis. Put me straight to sleep. Yep. Yep. I could not get into it at all. Uh, he has a very soothing voice. Mm-hmm. I had trouble keeping track of what was happening because Tolkien goes so into the language, but the Phil Dragash one has like soundtrack to it and different Mm. voices oh that's nice and so like you can follow the through line of the story even if tolkien spends like two pages talking about somebody's coat speaking of classics with podcasts reading those classics we also have one of those (laughs) exactly and it's a different book so let's let's talk about that one this is becca This is Molly. We are here to talk about Jane Austen. We are here specifically to talk about chapters 10 through 12 of Sense and Sensibility. Listeners, if you're just joining us now for the first time, I, Molly, have never read any Jane Austen except for Pride and Prejudice. (laughs) I, Becca, have read many Jane Austen, including Pride and Prejudice. In fact, if you want to check out us reading Pride and Prejudice together, check out season one of this podcast. But that's not what we're doing here. Listeners, I am so excited to talk about these chapters because everything that I thought was happening just like got flipped on its head. It's so spicy. It's not only spicy, but it's making me think that maybe this girl Jane Austen had some idea what she was doing. Yes. I mean, (laughs) so Jane Austen never married. She is 
one of the most prolific romance novelists in all of history. And you want to know why I think that is? I think, for me anyway, as a person who aspires to be a writer, when I am not in a relationship, my brain goes wild with like spinning these tales. Like, first of all, all right, let's jump back to like high school Molly or middle school Molly. I would make up these just lengthy romances in my head for characters in TV shows that I was watching or movies that I liked. Like, oh my God, I was a Zanessa stan to the end. Oh my gosh. And I mean, I I did the same thing. I was like a crazy Ramione shipper back in the day. Oh, see, we are we are on opposite ends of that spectrum. Now. I know, but you came <laughs> around to my view. I did, I did, I did. <laughs> Making that clear. <laughs> For our listeners, Molly used to be into the pairing Harry Hermione. I'm sure that some of you will agree with her. I disagree. I wouldn't agree with me. I mean, I was wrong. It was because I watched the movies first because I was at the age where like I could watch the movies but not read the books. And anyway. That's a valid takeaway from the movies. The books, it's like constantly. She's like a sister. I'm sick of her. Like, (laughs) (laughs) yes. Just like, come on. Yes. But I have for most of my single life listened to so much sad music. I am a lover of beautiful, melodic moments of true sorrow, breakups. Like, I mean, the amount of Taylor Swift I listened to in high school is one thing, but like I internalized Joni Mitchell. Oh, oh. And I would listen to this shit all the time. And now I'm in like this happy, healthy relationship. And I'm like, I could listen to it. And I'm listening to it. And I'm like, it's still really nice. But, but it not, doesn't like, hit the same. Yeah. I'm not walking around being like, oh, yearning. Right. The yearning. So that's what I'm saying is that Jane Austen, having never been married, and I'm not saying she didn't get around. I'm sure a girl got around. But like the fact that she was not in that final end all be all like long term relationship gave her so much more fuel to write the yearning. This is kind of what I was like getting at a little is that there are a lot of different types of single people out there Mm -hmm. and all of them are very valid. Some single people really do thrive alone. Some single people, you know, really want somebody like they, they want a relationship. That's okay too. There's also single people who, you know, don't necessarily fall into the like romantic or sexual spectrum where they're yearning for that or pining for that a lot of people are very content without that sort of experience and a lot of people who don't have that same contentment also don't know what it feels like to have it you read these books and you can feel the yearning from Jane Austen from someone who knows what love feels like oh that's beautiful I want to know what love is. I want you to show me guys Becca and I are singers too did you know (laughs) Back to Jane Austen. I I mean, we, we have a lot to talk about in these chapters, a lot to cover. Oh, boy. But we are about to see a less clipped intellectual burning than uh, Pride and Prejudice, which, don't get us wrong, is like a very passionate novel. <laughs> passionate is, an, is a word you could use if you wanted to describe that novel that way. But <laughs> I think that passionate... I mean, the 2005 adaptation is passionate, but the rest of it is more like, what? Like, when are they going to get... <laughs> They're not even... Well, there's a lot of, like, different kinds of love stories to love, and there's a certain 
bickering hotness to Lizzie and Darcy. Yes, yes. And it's definitely hot. It's definitely hot. This is different and we should start talking about it. Yes, we should. I'm like bursting at the seams because I can't tell if the conclusions that I've drawn from these chapters are going to be correct or absolutely buck wild, but I am convinced in them. My convictions are strong. All right. I'm keeping the stone face. I don't know how she's going to do it because I am literally about to explode out of my skin. Okay. Ooh, it's going right. to be trickier for these chapters. I, I am aware. Okay. So chapter 10. <laughs> I'm loopy. All right. <laughs> <laughs> We're already done. Chapter 10. Oh, goodness. All right. So listeners, where we left off. Marianne has just taken a tumble. She has fallen down an entire hill. And Willoughby a new character, has come, scooped her up, carried her home, and everyone's like, ooh, you're handsome. And he says he's going to come back the next day. So that's where chapter 10 picks up. The next day, Willoughby comes. I wanted to note, in case you're new here, listeners, I often look up words that seem old-timey and confusing and give them to the listeners a lot of the times. They're words that I just don't know. But just in case, the first sentence here says, Marianne's preserver, as Margaret with more elegance than precision styled Willoughby, called at the cottage early next morning. Now, I looked up styled and I literally have no idea where the heck she got this from. Like, I can figure out what it means by the context. It means that Margaret's been calling him Marianne's preserver, but the word itself doesn't mean... It could be just a different spelling of styled, like S-T-Y-L-E-D. Oh, okay. Because when I Googled it, all that came up was like turnstile or like... Harry style. (laughs) Or... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyway, um, so that's what that first sentence means, listeners. Moving on. Everybody loves Willoughby. They think he's the bee's knees, and he thinks that Marianne is very beautiful. And from the beginning, it's just clear to everybody else that he and Marianne are smitten with each other, especially when she hears him say that he's fond of music and dancing. So what we have here is two extremely attractive, passionate people. Mm-hmm who love poems and music and are both good at poetry and music and who had this like instant chemistry. And that just draws them sort of immediately to each other. Yes. And they are talking about everything. Now, we know from the beginning of this book that taste is very important to Marianne and she determines that he has very good taste. But I will note that it specifically says that when they disagree on something, she talks him into agreeing with her point of view. Or like if she likes a book and he doesn't like a book, she convinces him to like the book. So I, I actually think that he might be a bit of a pushover. I, I mean, it's just one of those things where like, you know, when you really like someone, when you're super smitten with them, this is this is something that uh, it happens where you're just like, yeah, no, of course I'm into that. I'm into that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think from an outside perspective as a reader, though, for me, it's raising a red flag. And I've got a few red flags going up for Willoughby for me. Okay, so first one is that he's a pushover. Not just that he's a pushover, but that he is saying that he likes things that he doesn't necessarily like because he wants to get with Marianne. Okay. Don't love it. Don't love it. I think it's cute. Don't love it. So when he leaves, Eleanor says that they're going to run out of things to talk about if they talk that much every day. How will they ever continue this relationship? (laughs) She says that the next time they meet, she'll learn his opinions on, quote, picturesque beauty and second marriages. And that'll be it. I wanted to flag that that was the first time second marriages were brought up and that I think 
that it will be brought up again, and I would like to know what their thoughts on it are. I didn't, I mean, of course, I've now read these three chapters, and I know that it's brought up again, but this was something that I asked about, I think, in episode one, where I was like, do people get remarried? Do people get divorced? Like, it was a thing because of their dad. Yes, so people actually do get divorced. It's possible, because, like, you might remember that the Anglican Church was formed so Henry VIII could divorce his wife. Oh, like Six the Musical. Yes, exactly like Six the Musical. I don't actually know Six the Musical, but my friend is really into it. So Molly, I. Molly, <laughs> it's so good. It's your vibe of a play. It's just like six women singing about their heinous ex husband. But so Henry VIII establishes divorce as a thing, and then England has divorce. I'm, I don't pretend to know exactly the history of when divorce was and wasn't legal in the UK. But as far as I know, as long as the Anglicans are in charge, divorce is allowed. Still rare, though. Like, still very rare. And in this case, second marriage by widow is much more common. There's also a sort of a big distinction between second marriage and second love. Yes, which we'll get into yes. later on. So... Marianne, after Eleanor says that, sarcastically shoots back that, oh, yes, I should have been reserved and spiritless, dull and deceitful. And Mrs. Dashwood is like, calm down. Eleanor's just kidding. And Mrs. Dashwood establishes that she is very happy about this pairing between Marianne and Willoughby. So he comes back every day, even after Marianne is fully healed. And he and Marianne read and sing together. And it it makes special note that he reads with all the sensibility and spirit which Eddie lacked. Womp womp. Poor Eddie. I'm beginning to think that Eddie's not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> I'll neither confirm nor deny. I will say that this must have been so annoying to live with. Oh, I would have punched them at this point. Because they're like reciting poetry at each other. They're like singing musical numbers together. You and I have been around musical theater people before. We know the tendency is to burst into song. Oh my God. When you were at a party and everyone started singing fucking Les Mis or something. No, just imagine that like two people are courting each other and just sing at each other. Yeah, I've seen it happen. That being said, like this is a lot of like deep passion. Like they clearly both love Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Hyper romantic. Mm -hmm. the only fault that Eleanor can find in Willoughby the only like literal fault I'm pretty sure she doesn't like him for a number of reasons but the only thing that she can find quote wrong with him is that he's a huge gossip and he always says what he's thinking no matter who he's around Mm -hmm. this is something that we talked about with Marianne in the last episode or maybe the episode before that where you said but she would never say that around anyone who wasn't her family but Eleanor thinks that this quality in, um, what's it, I keep wanting to call him Eddie, in Willoughby is very similar to Marianne. So it's just interesting. And they're like mean together. When they get together, they're mean. Yeah, they, they're very, very similar in this way. And it is not Marianne's best quality. And it's not Willoughby's best quality. But they do tend to instigate with each other. And like, get into this, but as you read the like, book further it's clear who's instigating and like we've all been there like we've all badmouthed more around some people than others but like mm-hmm. it's yeah it's 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 notable yes mm, I yeah I don't like that this is what the side of her that he brings out and we'll get there in the next chapter but Marianne meanwhile through all of this is seeing that 
when earlier on in the book when she said she was never going to meet a man who she loves or who can check all of her boxes, she was like, that was foolish. This man checks every single box. So she's she's happy. Mrs. Dashwood secretly starts congratulating herself on having married off both of her daughters to respectable men because Eddie is still in the picture for her, even though he has not visited and it's been like a month. Yeah, so Mrs. Dashwood, like, is taking a real rosy look at the situation. I mean, to be fair to her, what is happening with Marianne is very obviously like a courtship. What was happening with Eddie and Eleanor looked like a courtship. He's been gone for a minute, but she's not totally crazy for thinking these things. No, I mean, I, up until like the next page, I was fully on Team Eddie and thought that he was coming back and was going to be in the picture, but my my tune has changed. So meanwhile, speaking of my tune changing, Colonel Brandon is fallen by the wayside as soon as this court trip starts up, like before when people were poking fun at him for his crush on Marianne, now people are like, oh, that's actually going to hurt his feelings because she, she has another boy, so we're not going to make fun of him. So he's just like kind of fallen away. Meanwhile, everything that makes Marianne and Willoughby similar is like furthering Willoughby's affection for her. And on the other end of the spectrum, everything that makes Marianne and Brandon different is also furthering his affection for her. So like they just both have a crush on her and it's sad because he's 35 and Willoughby's 25 and really you can't compete when you're like old and surly versus a young sprightly 25 year old Willoughby is so hot (laughs) and young and like sings with Marianne Mm -hmm. shares her interests they're in the same place in life Brandon is stern and handsome but older and could you say that brandon has sense and willoughby has sensibility you could say that one might say that perhaps they are opposite types of people in a way that we've described eleanor and marianne as opposite types of people and maybe it's in the title you could certainly say that yeah (laughs) it is in the title (laughs) yeah i had a moment my notes in all caps say Brandon is sense. Willoughby is sensibility. Indeed. So we've gotten there. It seems that there is a double entendre in the title. It would seem that way. So Eleanor is watching all of this and she really feels bad for Colonel Brandon and she wishes that he would be indifferent to her sister. She, Eleanor, like, I can't look it back. (laughs) Eleanor likes Colonel Brandon very much. And she sees his reserve as kind of an oppression of his spirits rather than a general sense of gloominess. So basically, she just is seeing that there's something below the surface that he's not showing. And the way that she thinks about him makes me think. Basically, it just makes me ship them so hard. Like, I am shipping Eleanor and Colonel Brandon so hard, which I just... It's the opposite of what I thought was going to happen because I thought that Colonel Brandon and Marianne were going to end up together. And I was like, why did you introduce us to all these characters so fast, Jane Austen? But actually, now there is something growing in the lasagna. Okay, I'm going to look at Becca again. (laughs) Listeners, my face is completely still right now. She's doing a great job because I'm bright red. You are bright red, girl. I really am. I'm flushed. I really have not shipped something this hard in a long time. Okay. Um, 
do you want me to tell you anything about this or do you want me to let you discover as the story goes on? Yeah, I just want to keep discovering because my feelings, like at this point, I thought I was joking when I wrote that I shipped it. But as the chapters go by, I become more and more certain that that's what's going to happen. So I think let's just keep going. Let's just keep going then. So Willoughby and Marianne become really mean when they're together, like I said, and they are talking about Colonel Brandon. And Willoughby says, he's the kind of man whom everybody speaks well of and nobody cares about, whom all are delighted to see and nobody remembers to talk to. So rude. So rude. First of all, rude. (laughs) So rude. Second of all, I mean, this description of Brandon, it's not only rude, it's, it's not accurate well i'm not entirely sure that it's not accurate i just think it's not something that one should say i mean why why do you say it's not accurate because colonel brandon has inspired deep loyalty in the people around him john middleton is a very loyal friend to him and eleanor has been there not so long and she has already looks forward to talking to him alone in the party right that's true and Eleanor tries to say that she brings up like well that's not true I like him the family at the house likes him and Willoughby's response to that is well like the fact that you like him is definitely a plus but the fact that Mrs. Jennings and Lady Middleton like him like why would anyone want to be liked by them which I thought was kind of funny again rude we love Mrs. Jennings we do but I get it I get why it's said I love Mrs. Jennings. I think she's fun. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. But yes, what you're saying is true. I would want to hang out with Colonel Brandon, but I also get where Willoughby's coming from. I just don't think it's something that you should say about a person. Well, I mean, it just depends. Like, we all have introverted friends we adore. And then Willoughby's like, kind of just saying, like, if you're quiet at a party, like, who wants to be around you? Right. But the thing is, that he's always invited because people do like being around him. So it's not a bad thing to kind of, you know, go with the flow and blend into the crowd. Which I think is what you see is that Willoughby is someone who loves the like vitality of life. He like wants, he wants more, you know? He likes the spotlight. He loves the spotlight. He loves, but it's more than that. Like there are people who want very boring lives. Mm -hmm. They want conventional nine to five adequate spouse, children, this, this, and that. And then there are people who want more. They want, like, passionate, true love. They want to see and travel the world. And Marianne is certainly someone who wants more. She wants to marry for love. She wants to sing and read poetry. Willoughby, in his evaluation of Colonel Brandon and his love for Marianne, shows himself as the one who wants more. On the one hand, that's true. On the other hand, Colonel Brandon has traveled the world and like apparently, well, we'll get there, but like apparently has also had love. So like he's not boring. Anyway, you love him. I really have a crush on Colonel Brandon. (laughs) Oh man. And I would ship anyone with him, honestly, because I think that he deserves the most out of life so um and it's not just because he's played by alan rickman listeners i have not seen a crush this level since daddy bennett (laughs) it's actually more intense than daddy bennett yeah daddy bennett it was like the occasional like ooh, that was hot but this i like 
I'm like really flushed right now. Oh, man. <laughs> okay. So I really liked Eleanor's comeback to the Lady Middleton, Mrs. Jennings thing because she said, perhaps the abuse of such people as yourself and Marianne will make amends for the regard of Lady Middleton and her mother. If their praise is censure, your censure may be praised for they are not more undiscerning than you are prejudiced and unjust. Hmm. Go, Eleanor. What I love about Eleanor is that she's very tactful. She's very pragmatic, but she is sassy. She is actually, as Willoughby says, saucy. Yes. So he calls her saucy, and then she says that he is attractive. She doesn't say that he's attractive. She says that he holds attractions for her, but I'm saying that she's saying that he's attractive, referring to Colonel Brandon. She brings up that he's seen much of the world. He's well-read, and he knows a great deal on many subjects. And then they go into, like, a bunch of stuff that I did not know what it was, and I started to look it up. But then I saw there was, like, a website that was like, here's what Colonel Brandon knows about. And I was like, I can't click on that because spoilers. But Marianne says, oh, well, he could tell you. Colonel Brandon could tell you that the East Indies are hot and mosquitoes are troublesome. And Willoughby says... I bet he told you that nabobs, gold moors, and palanquins exist. And so that's what I Googled. And it was like, here's the speech. Um, I, I can give you the TDLR version of it, or I can look it up and go more in depth. Well, what I got was that a moor is a kind of coin, like a gold coin. And nabob or nabob is a Muslim state official under the Mughal Empire. And that's all I got. That's all I could. So you can give me the TLDR. He's basically poking fun at the fact that Colonel Brandon has traveled through Her Majesty's colonies at the time. Uh, oh, I see. He's an army man. He's a high-ranked officer. He's a colonel. Mm -hmm. And when they refer to him being well-traveled, it's because he's, like, seen a lot of places in the world as a member of the Empire's army. But he hasn't, like, experienced them. So, like, he knows the basics. Oh, no, he definitely has. But, like, they're, they're kind of... You're right about their critique, which is basically like, yeah, he can tell us, like, India's hot. Right. Or that Africa has mosquitoes or, like, whatever. Like, they're not, they're poking fun. He doesn't know about the nightlife. He doesn't, you know, like, it's, he hasn't experienced them to the degree that they would. He went to New York and went to the Olive Garden. Right. It's basically, like, what was happening in, I think, the chapter before this, where Marianne asked sir john about willoughby and he was like he's a good shot and she's like what can you tell me about his hopes and dreams exactly i i think it's it's that listeners for those of you who don't get the olive garden reference if you're american you definitely get the reference i don't know if our international listeners know this no shade to olive garden we love the olive garden but you love the olive garden <laughs> i don't love the olive garden there's nothing for me to eat at the olive garden anymore i was raised italian olive garden is not great italian food no it's not but the Times square olive garden is a big tourist attraction in new york city and most New Yorkers would beg you to not go there because New York has some amazing Italian food. You just have to go to Little Italy or Queens, like, or you don't even have to go that far. There are bistros all over New York City with wonderful food. Just like don't stay in Times Square and you'll be good. Yes. So like the idea of Colonel Brandon going to the Olive Garden in Times Square, which is a sentence I never thought I'd say. Uh, um <laughs> Is the idea that he's not so cultured. Like, he's got the base level of culture. He travels. He sees things. He probably reads books, watches the Big Bang Theory or whatever. But he doesn't, like, go for the 
the really wonderful, important pieces of New York. He doesn't go explore under the Manhattan Bridge or uh, I don't know. What do, what do trendy New York people do? I don't know. Trendy New York people. Well, I, I want to backtrack a second to where you said that the Big Bang Theory makes him like cultured. Is that what? No, no, no. I, I'm saying that like that that's a... <laughs> So you and I are both making fun of the Big Bang Theory is what's happening. I've never watched the Big Bang Theory. So like I I needed to clarify. If you like the Big Bang Theory, that's fine. It's not my taste. I tend to think that they kind of underwrite women on that show. Mm. That's how I feel. But it is also culturally code for like being basic, quote unquote, watching the Big Bang Theory. Oh, for real? Mm-hmm. I've literally never seen an episode of it in my life. So I'm cultured. <laughs> I've watched Shit's Creek. I'm cultured. I've watched all of Friends eight times through. <laughs> but I, I don't mean to hate on the Big Bang Theory. If people don't like it. I don't really like it. But this is a long tangent to say that they're saying that there's nothing wrong with Colonel Brandon, but he's basic. Right. Well, moving forward on that theme, Eleanor asks him, asks Willoughby, I mean, why he doesn't like him. And Willoughby's response really has me scratch in my head. He so first of all, he and Marianne both basically say what we were just saying is that he's kind of boring and just not exciting. And Eleanor keeps defending him. She says he's sensible, well-bred, well-informed, gentle, and has an amiable heart, which again, like I'm just shipping it. And then Willoughby says he has three reasons for hating him. Well, he doesn't say hating for not liking him. He says he threatened him with rain when he wanted nice weather, which uh, I'm assuming Willoughby was like, Oh, what a lovely day. And then Colonel Brandon was like, it's going to rain later. <laughs> like, that's probably what happened there. So he found fault with something having to do with his carriage. So he must have commented on like a curtain or something in the in the curricle, which is the carriage. And he can't persuade Colonel Brandon to buy one of his horses, his brown mare. Basically, what like, do they have beef or not? I can't tell. I think Willoughby's joking here for the most part. Oh, okay. Okay. But... Basically, he's saying implicitly here, we just don't gel. Okay, so they don't have a literal beef. This is all, he's picking, he's nitpicking all of their interactions. He's like, this one time he said it was going to rain. I'm not going to confirm or deny whether or not they have a literal beef, but I will say that what he is saying here is that we don't get along. Okay, got it. That is the end of that chapter, which brings us to chapter 11. The Dashwoods are constantly kept busy with visitors and soon after Marianne is recovered the private balls begin and they start having parties on the water and I am hyped because I mean when I lived in coastal Connecticut the beach parties were the best (laughs) yeah kind of I mean this is a seaside tale yeah I'm like picturing them barefoot it's kind of like okay dear listeners I love when you send me memes. I have received the lesbian period drama many a times. Many, many times. It's our brand. It is 100% our brand. So anyway, they are on the beach with no shoes on. And they have, well, I guess in this, in that, they're like picking up rocks. But in this, cocktail glasses and blankets and umbrellas and stuff. That's what I'm looking for for their beach cocktail parties. Uh, I love it. I was thinking like that scene in Little Women where they go to the beach. Yes, 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 exactly. But with cocktail glasses. Willoughby comes to every party and he and Marianne are being pretty obvious about their relationship, which Eleanor wishes that they wouldn't because she thinks that it's improper and she suggests this to Marianne. And then Marianne is like, no, a concealment of any kind would be disgraceful. Uh, She says that 
concealing feelings that are not illaudable in nature is disgraceful, which means illaudable means deserving no praise. So basically she's saying that as long as her feelings are not hurting anyone, she should not conceal them. But they are hurting someone. Oh my God. Molly is so into Brandon. I love it. I am. Yeah. I respect Marianne a lot. I think this is where I come to the whole Marianne in her own right is a well fleshed out Lydia. Like, yeah. She's obviously not Lydia Bennett. She is much smarter, much more personable. Fun. I like her a lot. <laughs> exactly. But there is a sense of unapologetic feeling at my feelings. Yes. That she has. And that is what I keep defending in Lydia as this like, hey, you're a teenager in a world that is like really trying to repress your feelings. The fact that you have allowed yourself to go so fully into your feelings is something that today I would celebrate. Yeah. I understand Eleanor's concerns in this time period. Yeah. The thing is, Marianne's not that much older than Lydia. I mean, she's 17, but it said in the last chapter that she was thinking back on her feelings of 16 and a half when she was afraid she was going to be alone forever. That was only like a few months ago. So she's like newly 17 and Lydia was 15. So just going back to like our conversation of the last episode, like she's still a kid and she can make childlike mistakes. And not even just mistakes, like teenagers have a lot of feelings. Oh yeah, hormones are running rampant. And I think that the tendency in the Jane Austen era to repress your feelings is something that is not the best mark of the time. It's great because it creates these really interesting, intricate, class-based love stories we get to read. And the obstacles, as Zach Cohn said, are the society itself. Ooh, ooh, a callback to season one. Yes. Uh, go, go ahead and listen, especially if you want to hear our wonderful friend Zach Cohn be so much smarter than us. He's so smart. So smart. But in that right, it's great. For the actual characters, it's not great. There's a lot to say for, yeah, why should I hide my feelings right now? Yeah. This is how I feel for him. I want to show him. I agree. I agree. And again, I'm a Marianne, definitely. So I agree. When Willoughby's around, Marianne has eyes only for him and he has eyes only for her. He would really do anything for her and it specifically says that if they're playing cards, he would cheat himself and everyone else out of a good hand just to ensure that she could get one. Have you ever seen two people fall in love at a party? Yes. It is wild. They like they spend the whole night glued to each other, like eye contact, like talking about everything. They like end up outside for hours. That's how I picture them at every party. Yes. And it says that. They only dance with each other. And if they're not dancing with each other, they're just like standing in the corner, not talking to anybody. And people have started to make fun of them for it. Like, like you would if you saw that happening at a party, but they don't care. They are totally in their own world. Exactly. Marianne is so happy that she starts to forget about Norland. It says that she's like moving on. She's not sad about missing home anymore. Eleanor, on the other hand, not so lucky. She has not found a new companion. She's still thinking about her old boo, Eddie. Specifically, it says Lady Middleton and Mrs. Jennings can't supply her with the stimulating conversation that she misses from 
our boy, Eddie, even though, quote, Mrs. Jennings is an everlasting talker. They go on to like, they go on. Jane Austen goes (laughs) on to describe all the things Mrs. Jennings talks about. And she was like, she knew of her husband's last illness, of her other daughter's marriage, of what she had for breakfast that morning. And I was like, Mrs. Jennings, live girl. Like we are two women who started a podcast because we love talking so much. Yeah, we relate to Mrs. Jennings, who has now told Eleanor her life story four times over. I love it. I love Mrs. Jennings. She is my daddy Bennett. Yes. (laughs) On the contrary, Lady Middleton doesn't have anything to say. It basically says, I'll just read it to you. It really made me laugh. I mean, it was sad, but it made me laugh. Eleanor's noticed about Lady Middleton that her being quiet isn't because she's calm or reserved. It's because she just doesn't have anything to say that she didn't already say the day before. Uh, it said, her insipidity was invariable. Her spirits were always the same. She only knew how to talk about her children or take care of her children and she sucks I mean, she's just boring like poor lady middleton whatever like i don't care that much but damn she is what marianne and willoughby were kind of saying colonel brandon is yes yes yeah this book is about character and like who you are as a person i'm so hyped i'm trying <laughs> to like pull it back becca's vibrating i'm pulling it back a little bit i'm trying i'm trying It was difficult to stay neutral during Pride and Prejudice. It is so hard during this one. This book has so many different important conversations in it. I think that her characters in this are so varying and so vital. And I think that the fact that it is so focused on not one but two women really adds layer to the story. I'm watching the Great British Baking Show and I just heard uh, Mary Berry say, Liz, Liz. Exactly. It is Liz. Exactly. (laughs) okay keep going oh i'm not gonna say any more about the whole of the book because like we're gonna get to a certain point in the book where i'm gonna feel more comfortable saying reasons i love this book without giving things away okay well i will say about it being about two women and their kind of arcs in reading pride and prejudice there was like one big plot twist which was wickham being a bad guy and otherwise i was like pretty certain about who was gonna end up with who and like everything like that This one, I thought in the last few episodes, I was like, okay, I've met everybody. I think I know what's going to happen. No, it just, everything got confusing all at once. Your first mistake was thinking you'd met everybody. (laughs) Yeah, I remember in episode one, you were like, Molly, there's more characters. Oh, no, it was episode two. I was like, well, now I know who Hugh Grant plays and I know who Alan Rickman plays. And you were like, there are more than just those two characters. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, so the next line in my book, is like underlined with a bunch of exclamation points. And in my notes on my phone, it's all caps and it says, thank fucking God. So if you want access to all of that, you can subscribe to our Patreon at the $3 tier or above. Nice plug. Yeah, thank you. All right, all caps. Here we go. In Colonel Brandon alone, of all her new acquaintance, (laughs) (laughs) did Eleanor find a person who could in any degree claim the respective abilities, excite the interest of friendship, or give pleasure as a companion. If they don't end up together, then Jane Austen's really trying to throw me for a loop because I think that they are in love. Stone face listeners. Stone Stone face. Uh, My notes say, thank fucking God. And also called it. Called it in the last chapter. So they start hanging out at parties. And one day, they're hanging out. They're sitting down. He accidentally drops some hint 
that he may have been previously disappointed in love. The way that it comes about is he says, Marianne doesn't believe in second attachments. This is what we said we were going to get to. We're getting to it now. Oh, yeah. Eleanor confirms that Marianne believes to fall in love a second time impossible, though she notes that her own father was married twice, so she's not really sure where Marianne's getting this idea from. She suspects that Marianne will settle down and kind of find reason when she's older. He says, that's probably true, but, quote, and I really liked this line, there is something so amiable in the prejudices of a young mind that one is sorry to see them give way to the reception of more general opinions. I love that line. It's really beautiful. I also think, I mean, it's an iconic line. I also think it says a lot about who Brandon is as a person. And one of the things I think is that if you scratch beneath the sense a little bit, this is where you start to see a little bit more of a sensibility in him. Yes. Ooh. It's in the title. It's in the title. And I think that's really important, especially moving forward in the book, that like we understand Brandon to be this kind, gentle, but very pragmatic, sort of sturdy soul. Mm -hmm. But as this exchange sort of hints at a little, there's a hint that he is someone who is not just thinking pragmatically. He's someone who has opinions on what love is and how people should think about love. Yeah. And they don't come from reading books. They come from his deep-held emotions and guts. We love it. We, I... <laughs> oh, man. Guys, Molly has become tongue-tied by her crush on Colonel Brandon. Yeah. I mean... Just the fact that he's 35 and he is sitting there all, you know, saying these deep things and thinking, mm, yeah, (laughs) I can't. Also, side note, I am incredibly proud of myself for picking out a line that then Becca said, yeah, that's an iconic line. Ooh, Mm, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's a great line. Go me, you know, because again, I've avoided spoilers for this book. I don't know what's considered plot lines that I should be latching on to. So. Granted, I would say certain lines in Pride and Prejudice are so well known. And Sense and Sensibility, as you have learned by our meme uptake, is just a less known book. So like when I say iconic lines, it's usually like, for me, like in the canon of literature, this is an iconic line. Well, that means something to me. So that's good. It should. It should. Well, I will say, you know, that while for the most part, our Pride and Prejudice memes do do a lot better than our Sense and Sensibility ones. I did tweet yesterday, Pride and Prejudice, oh, I guess it was about Pride and Prejudice, but I said Pride and Prejudice was all about the yearning. Sense and Sensibility is all about the vibes. And it's doing (laughs) fairly well. I did not post it on Instagram. I, like, debated posting it on Instagram, but then I was like, our Instagram followers might reply with, like, why they agree or disagree, and I don't want to know yet. But on Twitter, people just liked and retweeted it. So that was exciting for me. I mean, that is iconique. That is so funny. <laughs> Thank you. I'm getting better at the, the sense and sensibility stuff. Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. 
The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster. And together, they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now, back to this episode. So they're having this conversation. And he says the beautiful thing. Eleanor disagrees. She wishes that Marianne would just grow up. She doesn't think that there's anything beautiful about the prejudices of a young mind. Then he asks, does Marianne, he kind of, there's like a long pause. And then he's like, so does Marianne always think a second detachment is bad? Or is it maybe like a case by case basis? (laughs) (laughs) Hypothetical question here. Like I'm, I'm just asking for a friend. If someone were previously spurned in love or like something went wrong, but I'm not talking about myself, but like if somebody were, maybe something had happened in their first relationship, like would, would then Marianne think that was bad? Not me though. Definitely not me. And then Eleanor says, you know, I don't know. I haven't asked but so far she's never pardoned a second detachment and then he says well one time I knew a girl who was quite similar to Marianne but then there was an enforced change a series of unfortunate circumstances oh and then he like puts his hand in front of his mouth and he's like oh no I wasn't supposed to say that but he doesn't say that but he looks like he shouldn't have said it and Eleanor is like I probably wouldn't have noticed that except for that he seems so upset that he let himself say it so She's intrigued. There's a mystery. In my notes, I wrote whomst because... Whomst? Whomst? I mean, obviously, he's talking about himself. And there was a girl who was like Marianne. And then because of something outside of her control or outside of his control, what it says is... I'm going to just read it because my notes were almost word for word, but sometimes I paraphrase and it gets confusing. So first, she says their second attachment, bad. He says, this cannot hold, but a change, a total change of sentiments. No, no, do not desire it. For when the romantic refinements of a young mind are obliged to give way, how frequently they are succeeded by such opinions as are but too common and too dangerous, which I thought was like sort of similar to what he was just saying about young minds Mm -hmm. growing old. Mm -hmm. Then he says, I speak from experience. I once knew a lady who in temper and mind greatly resembled your sister, who thought and judged like her, but who from an enforced change, a series of unfortunate circumstances. Oh, what does it mean? Whomst. 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 
Whomst? Listeners, whomst? We don't know. Becca knows. I don't know. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. The intrigue. This is, it's vibes. This is a vibe. <laughs> we don't know what to think. And Marianne, I meant Eleanor, thinks, well, I'm going to let that slide. And it specifically says that she knew that if Marianne had heard that, she would have immediately made up all these stories about his disastrous love and blah, 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 blah. Which, like, Eleanor, you're you're doing the same thing. Yeah. She's like, I mean, if I were Marianne, I would think, oh, who broke Colonel Brandon's heart? But I'm not Marianne. So I wouldn't think who broke Colonel Brandon's heart. There's a word that means, and I think I've brought this up before because it's one of my words that I always think of and can never remember what the word is. But the word means to draw attention to something by omitting it. Like saying, well, I'm not going to say that Colonel Brandon was spurned by a love in the past, but Colonel Brandon was. So that's basically what's happening there. Certainly. Which is the end of that chapter, which brings us to chapter 12. Marianne and Eleanor are on a walk, and Marianne tells her that Willoughby has given her a horse. The vibe here is Dean building Rory a car. That's exactly the vibe. No more needs to be said on this subject. (laughs) (laughs) Listeners, if you don't watch Gilmore Girls, I'm sorry, but that's the reference. So. Oh, yes. The horse, she notes, is like, specifically bred to carry a woman which is weird women are like generally in this time period smaller like than men oh so it's like a smaller horse it's like i honestly don't know um the other thing i was thinking about is whether or not it was because women often rode side saddle or something well that's what i was thinking too but i was like the saddle is what you would change not the horse i don't know but uh what i do know is that there's probably a listener who knows more about this than us for sure so if you're a horse Horse girls i was gonna say if you're a hashtag horse girl (laughs) hit us up you can be a horse girl if you are not a woman as well yes horse uh person a horse aficionado horse aficionado yeah in any event it sounded like he bred this horse to give to a girl and it's it's just weird it's weird to me eleanor is like what about the fact that we will have to get another servant to take care of the horse and then keep a horse for that servant and build a stable but i didn't understand why with the servants but like I get it. It's a horse. You need someone to tend to the horse. It's like a full-time job. Right. So anyway, Marianne is like, it's going to be fine. Mom would not say no to me getting a horse. She likes Willoughby. It's all fine. Eleanor is like, you barely even know Willoughby. How can you accept such a big gift from him? And Marianne's like, I know him as well as I know you or Mama, notably not Margaret. (laughs) Justice for Margaret. Justice for Margaret. Margaret's great. She makes an appearance in this chapter, so. Yes, she's, this is a Margaret-heavy chapter. Marianne says she'd feel weirder accepting a horse from her own brother. She knows Willoughby better than her brother. To this I say, oh yeah, Marianne, what's his first name? I, this is where I wanted to read a quote out, because it's, this is another iconic Austin quote. I could tell that something was going to be iconic in this part, because it's pretty dense. It is not time or opportunity that is to determine intimacy. It is disposition alone. Seven years would be insufficient to make some people acquainted with each other, and seven days are more than enough for others. That that gets to the heart of it, doesn't it? Yes, I think, I, I mean, weirdly, this is going to sound really like an odd parallel, but it reminds me of that quote from Parks and Rec, where Ron Swanson says, you meet someone, you like them, you roll the dice. When he's talking about how quickly, spoilers for Parks and Rec, April and Andy get married. I've never watched Parks and Rec. 
<laughs> so that it didn't mean anything to you. I've watched some Parks and Rec and I knew that they ended up together, but I've never watched it all the way through. So I say I've never watched it. Okay. So I didn't spoil that for no, you. No, no, it's okay. Okay. It's not a show you watch for the plot twists. It's a show you watch for the, for the jokes. But there is something to the idea of like, well, yeah, some people do get well acquainted early. And so I think I'm an Eleanor. So the idea of like rushing into romance gives me so much anxiety (laughs) so like that does not come naturally to me as an instinct but I do understand that I know people who are extremely happy to be committed to someone in a whirlwind I see as a Marianne it gives me so much hope that that's a possibility because Everyone in my family has gotten married after knowing the person, like, could be weeks, could be months. I mean, my parents got engaged after dating for, I think, three months, maybe six months. That quickened my pulse. Yeah. And then they moved to Brazil. I'm such an Eleanor. And my grandparents also did that. So I'm like, I think it runs in my family to meet someone and just know. And I'm looking forward to the, the fact that, like, Maybe by the end of 2021, I'll have met the person. Who knows? Maybe not, but maybe. That is really beautiful, especially because, like, I know your family and your family is not a family of unhappy marriages. No. (laughs) So I feel like that is something that is very, very true for some people. It's very not true for me. I will probably be in a relationship for a very long time before I decide to get married. (laughs) But that's kind of what... Marianne's getting at. It's about disposition. It's about being the type of person who can get to know someone that quickly. And if you're someone who takes your time, that's fine too. But she is right. It's not completely temporal. Mm -hmm. Wait, can you define temporal for me? Time related. Thank you. I knew that and I just needed the confirmation. (laughs) Meanwhile, here's my theory. Um, That's happening on Marianne's end. She's like whirlwind, romance, blah, 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 blah. Eleanor and Colonel Brandon sitting on the sidelines watching other things happen and getting to know each other via talking about the people at the party, talking about their histories, talking about what's important to them. I don't know. Like, ugh. Yeah. They're not the gossipy ones, though. So the fact that they are finding things to talk about at parties is great because oftentimes at parties it's like let's talk about what everyone else is doing so I'm glad that they're getting to know each other and it's more of a slow burn so mm, unless I'm wrong and then I'm gonna feel silly but I'm pretty sure I'm right I'm honestly shipping this so hard eventually Eleanor is able to convince Marianne that she cannot accept the horse getting her to agree because she says it'll cause too many inconveniences for their mother who Marianne loves So Eleanor overhears Marianne telling Willoughby that she can't accept the horse. And his response is that, well, the horse is still hers. Whenever she leaves Barton for another place, Queen Mab will be ready for her. Queen Mab. That's the name of the horse. I know. (laughs) Queen Mab. That's hilarious. I see Queen Mab hath been with you. What does that mean? It's Shakespeare. Queen Mab makes a very prominent cameo in Romeo and Juliet. What? I'm such a bad Shakespeare fan. I'm Googling Queen Mab right now. There's a whole speech? Yeah, Mercutio's big moment in the play. Oh, then I see Queen Mab hath been with you, pricked from the lazy finger of a maid, dot, 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 which oft the angry Mab with blisters plagues because their breaths are sweet meats tainted are. What? 
That's amazing. I just thought it was a silly name. I'm such a bad Shakespeare fan. No, no. It's a specific little detail Austin throws in there to tell you these two have been exchanging poetry. Oh, my God. And the... Ew, 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 ew. I'm sorry, but the Shakespeare play that they're bonding over is Romeo and Juliet. I will defend Romeo and Juliet. I love that play. Listen, I do too. I'm just saying it's gross that in the first, they've known each other like three weeks and they're already like, I'll die for you. Oh my God, absolutely. And like, you know, they're exchanging sonnets too. Oh my God. He's going to like come outside her window and be like, but soft. Come outside her window, am I right? Oh my God, Becca. (laughs) But light through yonder window breaks. It is the, it east. Is the east, and Juliet yeah, is the sun. Arise, fair Arise, sun, fair sun, and kill, kill the envious moon, who is already who's already sick, sick and pale, pale with grief. Oh God, we need to cut that. Our poor listeners, they don't need to hear that. <laughs> but here's the thing: what we just did is what they're doing. That's exactly it, and it's gross. And you didn't like hearing it, so admit it. <laughs> But we had fun doing it because, again, we're Shakespeare nerds and I'm really embarrassed that I didn't understand the Queen Mab reference. Oh, it's okay. It's such a glancing reference. And we also haven't like I haven't read Shakespeare in a minute. I've read Shakespeare in a minute. I haven't read Romeo and Juliet in a minute. Well, that's actually also not true. (laughs) I've read it at least within quarantine. But I think that that speech may have been cut or I wasn't paying attention because I was not on stage for it. And by stage, I mean Zoom screen. (laughs) And, you know, when you're in a Shakespeare play, and as a Shakespeare fan, I'm allowed to say this, when it's not your turn to speak, you, like, play on your phone because it's a lot. There's a lot going on. Okay, so. (laughs) Eleanor can tell from hearing the way that that I keep wanting to say Eddie, and I know it's Willoughby, but it's because they haven't given him a first name. I don't know what to call him, so. Don't tell me what his first name is unless we're not going to learn it. Okay. Eleanor can hear from how he's talking to Marianne and addressing her by her first name only that they're basically already engaged. Question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. This is all the drama because Eleanor's like, hmm, this is very forward. Then the next day, Margaret tells Eleanor that she is certain that Marianne and Willoughby will be married soon. And Eleanor's like, yeah, but you've been saying that all along. She said that she she was certain that Marianne had been wearing Willoughby's picture around her neck. And then it turned out to be a picture of their great uncle. And then Margaret says, nope. She says, this time it's for real. He has a lock of her hair. Record scratch for Molly. Ew. Ew. Okay. To be fair to Marianne and Willoughby, as far as I understand it, this was like an old person tradition to show affection, Mm. is to give someone a lock of your hair. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Maybe. But it doesn't, I mean, the way that they say it, the vibes that I'm getting are uh, hair. Sure. Like, I, I can accept that, like, this is more normal than I'm thinking it is. But, like, vibe that I'm getting is, like, sniffing someone's hair as they walk by or like snipping off a little bit or like taking their hairbrush and like take it's like creepy now okay I think of it more as like I mean it could be creepy but like when you're in a relationship with someone you spend a lot of time like holding them Mm -hmm. and like you know you take a whiff of their hair sure yeah no I'm that's normal and it's an it's like you know like keeping a sweatshirt and being like oh this smells like my person exactly but I still think it's weird I mean what it is it is weird. Let let me give that to you. It is super weird. 
It is a weird thing to do. I'm just saying, I think in the context of the times, it wasn't weird, but it is super physically intimate. Yes. It, Margaret says that she saw him begging Marianne and then he takes her scissors and snips off a piece of her hair, sniffs it. I don't know if it says sniffs it, but he kisses the hair and puts it in his pocketbook, which I, first of all, I like that he has a pocketbook. And Eleanor is like, okay, I guess I have to believe her because she's got all of the facts in a row. Margaret is a little detective in this chapter. Oh, yes, she is. In fact, Margaret's sagacity, sagacity? Sagacity? Sagacity, I think. Sagacity. Was not always displayed in a way so satisfactory to his sister. I googled that word. It means foresight, discernment, or keen perception, ability to make good judgments. Meaning that Margaret knows who Eleanor is crushing on. So when Mrs. Jennings asks, she turns to Eleanor and is like, oh, Eleanor, I shouldn't say, should I? <laughs> and Eleanor is like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. It's such a little sister thing to do. Yeah, it is. And it's it grinds everyone's gears. Oh yeah. And Marianne makes it worse by getting all red in the face and being like, Margaret, what are you doing? You aren't, you don't know anything about what you're talking about. And then Margaret's like, well, you told me. But you said. I love Margaret. I, I, justice for Margaret, I think Margaret's great. She's such a kid. Yeah, she is. She is. I love her. So she says that. Mrs. Jennings presses her further. And Margaret's like, well, I can't say, but I know who he is and where he is. And Mrs. Jennings like, well, yes, he's probably at Norland. He must be the curate of Norland, which is like the Mr. Collins of Norland, the parish priest. And Margaret's like, no, he has no profession, which is true. And Marianne is like, Margaret, you're making all of this up. He doesn't exist. And then Margaret's like, well, then he's lately dead. For I am sure there was such a man once and his name begins with an F. Give it a moment. What's Eddie's last name? Does it start with an F? Ferris. Oh, Edward Ferris. We talked <laughs> about that. Yeah. I was like, what is she saying? I thought that she was being coy. And being like, and his name begins with an F instead of an E. Mm. So she does tell the truth. Oh, yeah. But it's his last name. But his that's what they'll know him by. Exactly. Mr. Ferris. How dare she? I thought she was being coy and cute, but how dare she? No, 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 no. She's being blabby. Why is she doing that? Because she's a kid and she's like not totally on it with her judgments and she you know partially she's trying to tease her sister partially she's like fitting in with the crowd mrs jennings and john middleton yeah she wants attention she wants attention she's also probably like yeah why are we hiding this eleanor loves him right 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 mm, yeah okay <laughs> wow i totally misread that whole <laughs> that whole thing so at this moment, Lady Middleton busts in and comments on the rain. I actually really liked this whole bit. So Lady Middleton comments that it's raining very hard. And mostly that's because she doesn't really like when people are making fun of each other. And she just wants to like get back to subjects that she feels comfortable with. And then Colonel Brandon jumps in and also comments on the rain because he is sensitive to Eleanor's feelings. It's a specifically exact quote. The idea, however, started by her was immediately pursued by Colonel Brandon, who was on every occasion mindful of the feelings of others, and much was said on the subject of rain by both of them. <laughs> it was very cute. So they talk about the rain, and then Willoughby and Marianne go to play the piano, and the topic of Eddie is dropped, but Eleanor's pretty shaken up by it. 
Then they make plans for the next day to take a trip to a house 12 miles away, which belongs to a brother-in-law of Colonel Brandon. And the brother-in-law is currently abroad. So Brandon is like in charge of like if they wanted to visit, he had to go because John Middleton loves going to this place. He's like, I go twice a year. But Colonel Brandon has to supervise. I mean, if you have a friend with a really awesome like summer house, you're like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So they're all making a plan to go there the next day. The land has a lake on it, so they're going to go for a boat ride. They're going to have a nice picnic, and everyone's going to go except Mrs. Dashwood, who is sick. Also, it's going to rain while they're on the boat. It says that most of them think, or some of them think, it's a bold idea to go when they're in the middle of a rainy spell. Because, like, we remember the disastrous walk in the hills that caught Marianne, like, falling down the hill. It's going to rain while they're on the boat. That's the vibe. All right. That brings us to the end of chapter 12. This is a long one. It brings us to Becca's study questions, though. It does. So we're seeing these interactions between Marion and Willoughby. We touched on this at the beginning and throughout. But how is this couple different than other Austin couples we've seen? Well, both of them feel the same way. And it's obvious to both of them. That's something that we sort of saw with Jane and Bingley but then it was like, oh, wait, he doesn't like me. Eh. Lydia and Wickham, it was like, obviously Wickham sucks and that wasn't. So this is like mutual affection. So it seems I'm still not 100% convinced on Willoughby. But yeah, they both love each other and they are both being super obvious about it and not paying attention to like, I mean, they're not being improper. They're just being obvious. I think. I think that the way it characterized it also is that this translates more as what we think of as a typical romance. Yes. Yeah. Lizzie and Darcy have this biting back and forth over and over again where they insult each other until they fall in love. Jane and Bingley have this sweet, shy, understated romance that's so understated that Bingley doesn't think it exists at a certain point. Right. And we've seen Eleanor and Edward who had this very understated unspoken but very clear bond together in Norland. Right. This is poems, rescues in the rain, obsession with each other, like clothes rip off, clothes not ripped off, but like, you know what I mean? <laughs> Quoting Romeo and Juliet. Like there's something very like the notebook about it. It's it's sweeping wild romance mm-hmm. for each other that is unapologetic and extraordinarily vast Mm -hmm. that's where I'll leave it but I think that it's interesting that Austin writes this when you read something like Pride and Prejudice and you see everything is so like crisp and sharp it's very hot I remember the dance sequences and the bickering but this book has a romance that's like no this is all-consuming everlasting crazy stupid love the movie it's a great movie (laughs) All right, so second question. What do you make of Eleanor's reaction to the courtship? It's interesting because my instinct is to say that she is feeling like protective big sister vibes, but there's not really anything wrong with Willoughby except for the fact that he's kind of mean. And Eleanor's response seems maybe a little bit overblown, like blown out of proportion for what's happening. But she's so sensible. Right, like this gets to the heart of like how they are different. Eleanor would never do that. Like she would never just throw her heart out there for everyone to see. So I think that that's probably why she's responding the way that she is. 
she's not saying don't date him or like don't pursue this but she's saying can you be a little less obvious about it because also you're hurting colonel brandon's feelings and i think that our girl ellie doesn't like conflict yes i'm gonna also put in another fork in the mix i guess a fork in the garbage disposal you know eleanor's worried about her reputation but isn't willoughby rich sure he's in all standing a good lover but she's 17 and he's 25 is that part of it no no No, it's the actual behavior itself oh like you look at something someone like lydia bennett Mm -hmm. her behavior would not be better by that much if she were talking to rich men the way she talked to the soldiers no that's true that's true it's just the behavior of like making yourself seem like a loose woman yeah the um the exposure to a man is something that women are very careful to do in this time period and i respect marion's boldness and capacity to say i don't care i want what i want but it's not irrational for eleanor to say hey if you go too far with this it's gonna be a problem yeah that makes sense eleanor's a smart cookie she is so these chapters draw really clear distinctions between willoughby and brandon i wonder if we wanted to tease some of those out some of them are very obvious and some of them are very subtle well i've already said that willoughby is sensibility and brandon is sense it is in the title it is in the title other differences that willoughby seems to wear his heart on his sleeve seems to being the operative word here because again i'm not entirely convinced that this is pure I might be just totally spurned by Wickham and think that everybody whose name starts with a W is bad, but sorry, that's just going to be what it is. Whereas Brandon has something bubbling beneath the surface that we haven't gotten to tap into yet, but that Eleanor has gotten a hint of, but he represses it to fit in with society and like be an upstanding citizen. Also, he has a work ethic. He was in the military, whereas I don't know what Willoughby does. He's just like hanging out. I mean, he's a gentleman. Yeah. I just realized that Colonel Brandon's name is Colonel Brandon because he's a colonel. Uh, (laughs) That's his name. I mean, it's not his name, but what's his first name? We had a whole conversation. I know. We talked about him being in the army and traveling the world. He was in the army and- I said, he's a colonel. I know, but I just like am putting together. I The thing is, listeners- I want you to know, I understood that he was a colonel. I'm just making the connection is why we call him Colonel Brandon, <laughs> not not like Sir Brandon or something. <laughs> anyway, maybe I'll cut that because I sound silly, but I probably won't because I'm endearing. So they don't say his first name in the book? Ever? I don't think so. Are you fucking kidding me? But uh, I did see a blog post where someone says his first name is Christopher. Christopher Christopher Brandon. No. No. The whole thing about people with multiple first names, good on those people, but I don't want it to happen to Colonel Brandon. It's too late. His last name is Brandon. So do you want it to be like Fitzwilliam Brandon? Honestly, yes. Because if we're going to call him Brandon, then make his first name his mother's last name or something. All right. Well, we're going to move on. (laughs) The one thing I did want to note is that there are some subtler pieces to both of those characters that were dropped in to this chapter, but I'm not going to highlight them right now. But now I'm hanging on a thread. Yes, that's the point of this podcast, Oh, Molly. right, 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 <laughs> right. Okay, what do you think of Brandon's characterization of Marianne's sensibility, her feelings about second attachments? Okay, so he attaches it to her being young, 
which I just want to know who hurt him because the fact that he thinks that like you get older and you have to become boring and not vivacious and everything like that doesn't have to be true we can see that with Mrs. Jennings and I think that it's interesting because I think that he was probably more open with his feelings when he was younger and he got burned by somebody all right Let's talk a bit about the discussion of second love. What role does it play in this part of the book? Well, obviously, Brandon had a first love. Also, Marianne's got a first love. And Brandon's maybe wondering if she will move on to have a second love or if she's attached to this man forever now that they are obviously in love. That's something I hadn't thought about. It's just such an interesting conversation because it's like, do you believe that you can only love one person And then, like, also, do you believe that it's acceptable to have another attachment, even if it's, like, what about if you were really in love the first time, but your partner dies, and then you're not as in love with this other person, but, like, you just want a companion? Yeah. There's all sorts of things it could mean. Certainly. And I think what this conversation does as well is highlight how a lot of these characters think about love. Mm -hmm. What do you learn about Marianne? By the fact that she believes in only one true love, no others. You learn that she is a young woman who has a very specific view of love in her brain. Love is soulmates. Love is this one person who will complete you and change your life permanently forever. And you'll just know. And she thinks that there's no there's no other lesser forms like there's no way to love anybody else. Which is kind of sad, I think. It also places romantic love on this huge pedestal because this, you've already seen Marianne loves her sisters. She loves her mother. She has other love. She just sees romantic love as this entirely different, unique thing. Whereas you look at Eleanor and Eleanor believes in love. She's not a Charlotte Lucas. She just, she sees love as something that grows and kind of is specific to the situation. She believes second loves are something that happen because humans are human beings and like you can fall in love with anyone. Yeah, I disagree with Marianne on this. I think it's kind of sad to think of romantic love as this one and all be all thing because there's so many different ways to love other people. And I feel like what you just described as Eleanor's point of view is a more beautiful, open hearted way to go about the world because yeah, there's love in everything. You could find love wherever and it doesn't have to be this one thing that you'll like, if you never achieve, then your life was worth nothing. That's a sad life to live. I think we had this conversation at some point, but I'm a firm believer in the fact that love can be something that there are a lot of people out there in the world you can love. You just have to be compatible with them and open. The time has to be right. And if you do find your way to that person and you choose to really commit to that love and grow it, That's also a very valid and I say romantic way to live in the world. Yeah. Putting it all on fate and destiny kind of cheapens the work people put into their relationships, the importance of the self and choosing what you want in a partner and also choosing maybe to say that something's not forever. Yeah. So anyway... I think this book, I I guess I'll say this now, now that we've had this discussion, I love this book partially because I think it has some of the greatest explorations of love and feeling that have been written. That's my take. All right. 
Uh, I've got only a few more questions. I was long on this one because this was a long set of chapters. Next one is, what are your predictions about Brandon's former lady? Which is also to say, whomst? Whomst? I don't know. I literally had to reread that section several times because I just could not formulate. I couldn't even grasp onto what they were saying. Like, there was a young lady and there was some circumstance that was enforced upon her and she had to grow up and change her mindset. She couldn't be as open-minded. I, like, didn't understand what they were saying. Maybe she was like, I can't be with you because you're a military man and I need a gentleman. Like, I don't know. I don't know if it was because of the language that I couldn't understand or because I just don't know what's going to happen. But like, I couldn't figure it out. But that's those are some thoughts. All right. Then my last question before the standbys is what do you think is going to happen on this picnic? You've already voiced rain. It's going to rain. <laughs> okay. It's going to rain. They're going to be on a boat. All right. Wildest dreams. The boat is on the water and everybody gets soaked and maybe the boat capsizes and they're all like, ah, I can't swim. And Colonel Brandon saves everybody or something. That's Wildest Dreams. Willoughby and Marianne maybe like run off together somewhere and ooh, Skindal. Maybe Eleanor and Colonel Brandon go out on a boat together. Ooh, I hope. Yeah. Okay. Uh, That brings us to the standbys. Funniest quote. All right. This is a, a kind of a convo. Eleanor says to Margaret, uh, after Margaret says that she thinks they're going to get married, you have said so almost every day since they first met on a high church down, and they had not known each other a week, I believe, before you were certain that Marianne wore his picture around her neck, but it turned out to be only the miniature of our great uncle. And then Margaret says, but indeed, this is quite another thing. I am sure they will be married soon, for he has got a lock of her hair. And then Eleanor says, Take care, Margaret. It may only be the hair of some great uncle of his. That's an iconic choice. A great choice. <laughs> Thank you. Questions moving forward. Whomst? 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 <laughs> That's it. That's whomst. Okay. Uh, and last but not least, who wins the chapter? Colonel Brandon. Oh my gosh. Colonel Brandon. Ooh, ooh. I wasn't sure who I was going to pick. And then when I started trying to talk about him out loud and I got flushed. It has to be him. I, I would agree. I think that's a great choice for these chapters. <laughs> oh, wow. This is going to be a great read through. You're the crushing this hard on Colonel Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. Okay, listeners, that concludes this episode of Pod and Prejudice. Molly, how are you feeling? I am so excited to keep reading this book. I'm... Me. <laughs> uh, I just want to know what happens next. I want to know whomst. Whomst. All right. So next time we're going to be reading chapters 13 through 15 of the book. Listeners, I do promise we are not going to read three chapters every time like clockwork. It just so happens that the beginning of this book, I think that three chapter increments are serving as well. But when it picks up a bit, I think we're probably going to go down to two chapters. But for next Ooh. week, read the next three chapters. All right. Until next time, though, stay proper and find yourself someone who you can fall in love with the second time. Does that make sense? Yes, I'm into it. (laughs) Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our show art is designed by Torrance Brown. Our show is transcribed by Speech Docs Podcast Transcription. For transcripts and to learn more about our team, check out our website at podandprejudice.com.
To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you love what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us, or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.